that's the recording now. Okay. So. Hello. 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 <laughs> Good afternoon. Good afternoon. <laughs> So I'm really excited to have you on the call, especially I've been really enjoying the course, um, the Hartwood course. And so I'm, I've been, I actually put forward my um, starting the professional course now. So I'm starting in April. So. Yay, well done, Rox. <laughs> That's brilliant. That's wonderful to hear. And uh, the foundation course itself is, is pretty intense, isn't it? There's lots going on, lots of information. So yeah, it's been really good. It's been really interesting. Great. I particularly like the webinars actually, where you, you know asking the questions and because yeah. it broadens it out quite a lot. I think. Yeah, it's it's always we love the webinars because you always um, uh, it, we learn so much as well as tutors. You know? <laughs> We're always picking up little bits and bobs of information. The student body as a body knows all sorts of interesting information. So yeah, it's and great. asking questions, you know, I think that's that dynamic interactive space that uh, it brings out all sorts of things either that you didn't know or things you think I should know this. Yeah. yeah I wonder what the answer is though. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe we could start with maybe both of you telling me a little bit about yourselves like how you came into herbal medicine and what your practice is that'd be lovely <laughs> shall we begin then? yeah go I'll go go, go. <laughs> um, so i um i was at school and i discovered a book in the library um about herbal medicine and it was a german book that described how you could treat really serious illnesses uh, with herbal medicine I just hadn't even come across this idea before and it just absolutely lit up my imagination and um, it made me discover I suppose that you could train to be a medical herbalist in the UK uh, so I knuckled down to get my exams to and be able to enroll on the course at that time you needed um, to have A levels in biology and chemistry and uh, I didn't have a A-level in chemistry, so I had to do an evening course in that. And then uh, at the time, yeah, so I went straight from school to study to be a medical herbalist. And it's just been a wonderful, wonderful journey. I've never looked back. So, um, it, yeah, it's brought me so many wonderful things. That's how you I got into herbal medicine. Really. You have quite a busy practice. Where, where are you based? So. I'm in Kent, uh, so uh, I work in a, my own clinic nowadays. I mean, when I first set up, I started by having a room, uh, but within three years, I was full-time. And uh, so I've been a full-time practitioner of herbal medicine for, well, since 1993, because I qualified in 1990. Um, and yes, I still work full-time as a herbalist. Uh, I collaborate with a gynecologist uh, so we, for the, since 2006 we've been running an integrated gynecology clinic um, but I also have a, just a general practice full of every type of person you can imagine and, uh, and now I have my own place that I can um, rent out rooms to other really brilliant practitioners which it broadens my experience I've always enjoyed working in a multidisciplinary setting um, and uh, 
I love to do workshops and talks and I do a lot of talks with the gynecologist to doctors and consultants about herbal medicine. Just reaching out, reminding people that uh, medical herbists are really well trained, that uh, we study conventional medicine, but also more traditional ways of looking at the human body and health and that we know about plants. We know about lots and lots of plants. So I love talking about that. Thank you. Mary? Oh, yes, I'm kind of a bit more um, oh, the standard route into herbal medicine than Anita because Anita is one of those very rare birds that went into herbal medicine straight from school. You don't trip across too many. And certainly when I was at school, um, I, nobody knew that was a thing you know that wasn't available <laughs> so um and I remember doing uh, careers advice and it was like oh you can be a secretary um you can be a nurse um you know you can work in a shop and I, mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so I went and worked in a shop <laughs> which was fine um but then I w uh, ended up working um for the NHS in clinical biochemistry and I was there for over 10 years and very much enjoyed that but kind of by the end of it oh it was very tiring um and the, yeah well i won't go into the politics of what was happening but i thought oh i just need to change but i want to remain within healthcare on some level so i did a lot of kind of looking around at what the options were and i looked at aromatherapy and you know the usual things but i was very lucky and i can't even remember how now i just tripped across this course on herbal medicine and thought Ah, I couldn't even at the point distinguish between the daisy and the dandelion, honestly. <laughs> so on, on that sort of level, I was starting from ground zero. <laughs> but I suppose on the more scientific side, I had all the anatomy physiology background. So, you know, we've all got our little gaps that we need to fill. Haven't we? Um, but yeah, and kind of it made sense to me. I could see why herbs worked i could understand they these plants have got active constituents in them um, that actually have been used for orthodox medicines of course they're going to work i i it, it it's always puzzled me why people don't think they're going to work that's just like it's common sense that they're going to work you know of course they're going to work um but i suppose you know, like a lot of people when you go into herbal medicine there is so much to it that you don't know um, and it's it's a joy really to be putting that out there now um, and to sort of like Anita said to be doing the talks and the workshops um, because it's a subject area that can take over people's lives um, on in all aspects in terms of gardening walking in the natural world meditation medicine food you know it just just takes your life over a day doesn't go by where you're not thinking about plants <laughs> on one level or another which is very very pleasing but i think occasionally it can be slightly tedious for one's family <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're going for a walk it's going to take so long <laughs> to get anywhere <laughs> she's got her id book with her oh man <laughs> yeah you find an interesting thing that well i think oh this is so interesting my husband yeah. Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm a glazed look. Like, oh. <laughs> so, yes, I'm very, I, I qualified in 2000. Um, so I've like been in practice for 20 years now. Um, and I've loved every minute of it. It's just, it, because it's so, particularly if you're somebody who has a magpie brain, you know, who likes lots of just little interesting things and likes going down rabbit holes. Herbal medicine connects everything with everything, ultimately. 
um, there's never, you'll never get bored. <laughs> never, never, never. Um, uh, it's a joy, it's always feeding you random little tidbits. Yeah. And is your practice in, is it Devon? Um, Yes, I'm in Dorset, in Bristol, Dorset. Yeah, yeah. I, I, we moved here about six years ago, and it it really suits me now because um, I'm a part time rather than full time. And of course, I've got the sea a walk away, and I can spend more time, you know, out there, basically, um, which is very lovely. Yes, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a big part of it, isn't it? Well, for, like, you th you think of a big part of it as getting to know the plant. Well, from my perspective, anyway, is getting to know the plants and knowing what medicines you can just go outside and pick yes I like that aspect rather than just thinking of being like a I don't know like a bottle herbalist I guess absolutely absolutely yeah having the plants there you're never alone then you know them you know their stories and the folklore behind them as well I think is actually really important um it does play play in a little bit to um things like race memory and it, it makes a connection um and it, it yes it brings the plants alive so probably gives you clues as well i guess to how people have used them throughout the centuries totally yeah totally yeah <laughs> i think that's one of the things i think that uh was so exciting about sort of getting together to put this book together because um we i think i realized about 10 years into my practice that uh i think i'd gone on a really long walk you know like um over several days and i thought to myself you know if I injure myself or if I somebody has an allergic reaction you know people would come to me and say oh could I have you got a medicine Anita for this and I think well in my dispensary yes I have <laughs> but out on this walk and I thought that's crazy and uh it's sort of you know uh yeah so after I'd been in practice for a while I began to do exactly what you said you know is sort of think to myself well hang on a minute what can I do what's beneath my feet this is herbal medicine many of the plants I'm using are growing all around me though what you know I should be able to use and uh, link up with these plants yeah yeah I particularly like the thing of, of like local herbalism as well like because I know there's obviously there are so many plants that you can use that's from across the world but I quite like the fact that the plants that you you know maybe are most suited to what your needs are just right outside the door <laughs> Yeah, and absolutely. And of course, historically, that's all people had. They, they had to use what was available, what was in um, reach, you know, um, Alan and Hatfield's um, book on the folklore of um, plant medicines in the UK is brilliant for that, because it really just gives you that insight into people didn't have money to go to a doctor. Um, you know, they were up against it. Uh, the roads were terrible, you couldn't travel very far. So, you, you know, you literally had to use what was within reach um and of course that's why all the different um traditions people up and down and around the country we use slightly different plants for different things because they just used what was there um yeah. so yeah very interesting yes it is <laughs> and i've got a copy of your book here oh, yay <laughs> it's brand new so just just sorry we're very excited <laughs> maybe you could um actually just have a wee chat talk about it and Certainly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe you could tell me about how the book came about. Oh, well, um, yeah, actually, um, the book came about because uh, Anita very, very 
kindly and generously and lovely um, invited me in the first instance to co-author the Heartwood Foundation course with her um, and the book is the offshoot of that uh, it's, it's kind of it's designed as, as a, a, a text to go alongside the foundation course but also we wanted to reach out people you know, the general public we wanted a really good comprehensive um, textbook but an actually easy to use textbook that people can just take up and refer to and, and incorporate into their daily lives um, and so yeah maybe Aniti wants to say a little bit more um, specifically about the plants we chose because Anita had a big hand in what plants we featured so I'm going to over to you for that Anita. Thank you. I think, um, yeah, the plants, for example, we sort of cover 15 plants in real detail, although there are many, many other medicinal plants within the book, of course. Uh, um, but the aim was that these were plants that anybody could use and most people could grow and most people have growing around them. Obviously, we're in the northern hemisphere and there are some parts of the world where these plants don't grow, but the, I believe that herbs like dandelion are pretty much ubiquitous around the globe and, and many of the plants that we talk about can be grown uh, in any almost any part uh, of inhabited the inhabited world so we were really keen to um, show how you know simple plants actually are sometimes just the most wonderful wonderful plants and uh, but I think also there's so much I think, uh, I, I think it's wonderful that people are looking for more knowledge about herbal medicine. But being a herbalist is more than just acquiring knowledge. It's actually the acquiring of understanding. And so I think we really wanted the book to go deeper than this herb is for this. And, you know, um, you can use this herb for that. On the contrary, this isn't how herbalists work at all. And so many other commentators researchers medics the media they love to talk about herbal medicine but they never they forget about the medical herbalist and so we hope as well as the native healers the plants we hope we've introduced the the healers the herbalists as well and very much in context with the plants because there is a sort of magic i think I, i'm sorry to use that word but i think it's it's sort of a beauty and a, a synergy that occurs between the plant, the herbalist, and the user of that medicine. That is more than just knowledge, it's something extra. And uh, so I suppose we sort of wanted to share that a bit really in the book. Yes, well put, Anita. It's the broader context within which the plants are used um, and the kind of that lovely natural web that envelops us all. Um, you know, we wanted to get that. Yes, it's not about if this do that, if this do that. Um, it's about the big picture. It's about treating people as individuals, um, really understanding the plants on a deep level um, and, and yeah, using accordingly. Uh, yeah, it's it's a different. It's I think it's slightly different to what people expect. Yeah, because I was thinking I think it goes into a lot more detail about like even talking about the body systems, which a lot of other herbalist books don't do. They don't, maybe they talk about the the medicine, like how you to make a medicine, but you don't talk about like the lymphatic system or the cardiovascular system. Or yeah, yeah. 
Thanks for noticing that, Rox, because that is like really, really important. And I think a lot of people are a bit nervous about learning about their body. Um, But as Mary sort of said, coming from that sort of biochemistry background, Mary sort of had this realisation that, of course, herbal medicine works. And I think by gifting people a sort of a little bit of access to actually very contemporary understanding of how our body works is not actually too difficult for people to understand they have a body they so therefore they can they can they exist within their body and if so if we can share a little bit of information uh, about how the body links together how everything is interconnected with everything else then that will help people make that leap from uh the herbal medicine being this is a cure for this and this will cure that much more broadly into hey how can my body work better how can I look after myself better and my family Uh, and how can we therefore if I have an understanding of my body then I might feel a little bit more confident about using herbs um, because it all makes sense I think it's quite a good way to empower people in general as well though for like even when you go to visit the doctor or something you can not have so much of that white coat syndrome and kind of feel a bit more like well I have empower you to say what you actually think of what you feel or yeah yeah absolutely these things are so important you know the, the, the broader perspective yeah that must really come into play in a family setting as well I think uh, so you know inevitably if you're a parent you know again knowing your body and trusting herbal medicine just like you might trust the food on your table um, you know in a you bring up your children and they inevitably eat what you eat but again if you're using the medicine yourself if you trust if you know that lavender will ease an insect bite or a burn and it'll ease a tummy ache and it'll ease a headache and you know you've taken it yourself if you've taken it yourself many times used it many times you'll trust it and and then you can use it within your family for anyone else knowing that you have a relationship with lavender Mm -hmm. it's deeper than knowledge (laughs) wisdom knowledge understanding wisdom (laughs) go down into that deep pool (laughs) that's what the the book you're trying to um encourage people to, to to build this relationship with plants then and this connection through all the tastings and just see the interconnectivity even if we go back to the anatomy and physiology for a moment we've tried where possible kind of to show that different body systems don't operate in isolation from each other Um, they do interconnect and dovetail all the time so you know I was thinking about this yesterday in terms of um, gut function and actually a gastroenterologist needs to know about the nervous system and needs to know about the immune system and and needs to know about the musculoskeletal system and needs to know about you know and I remember going back to my student days and they were saying you know if somebody comes to you with migraine treat the gut if somebody comes to you with gout treat the gut if somebody comes to you with kidney stones treat the gut if somebody and it's so true <laughs> you know we start there where we we carry the outside world around with us it's it's our the liminal space um between the outside world and the inside world is inside us and it's kind of where it all comes from that interconnectedness flows out from there so 
these concepts are really important, not just to look at individual body systems, but to pull back um, and, and look at the whole as far do some joined up thinking. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that's what's missing in the, the wider medical world because everything's in separate places, isn't it? And then they sort of look at one part of you and then somebody else looks at another part of you and nobody seems yes. to join it all together. Yes, yeah, it, it, it's very, um, it's a good system, but it's also, there are limits to it. Um, you know, and, and people haven't always grasped the fact you need to pull back and gift people with the, the, well, the gift of thinking, right? We need to think a bit more about this, <laughs> pull back a bit. And we're living in a time, aren't we, where so much interest in herbal medicine, so much interest in science. Uh, and we consider ourselves scientists. Absolutely. Think, don't we, Mary? Um, Absolutely. But there's information coming out whether it be about gut microbiome which you know our ancestor herbal ancestors intuited without actually visual visually seeing using magnification technology they intuited this but also there's loads of research on herbal medicine now talking about mechanism about how plants work and Mm, I think again that can throw people a little bit bizarrely because it can say well this little compound which is found in these plants you know can be dangerous or whatever and suddenly people are made afraid of the food that they're eating or simple herbs that not only could will be safe but could probably save your life one day you know um so i sort of feel that um on one level we're opening up with um everyone else is discovering the power of plants but unfortunately tied into that is this very mechanistic view about isolated constituents that creates a, an unnecessary disconnect um, and a fear of plants well if i take that will it interact with that yeah it's it's one of my favorite areas in in terms of um plants and plant medicine is synergy um and, and in terms of how all these different phytochemicals interact with each other and interact with the human body going back to that complexity again and the wholeness um, and it's a big area that is just completely missed um, you know that just because something has got let's say for example um, a certain type of pyrolizidine alcohol alkaloid in it um, oh that's yeah terrible you shouldn't use the plants um, without again pulling back and looking at the whole and also looking at the empirical evidence of what people have been doing for hundreds of years perfectly well and safely i'd love to know um, how many people in one given year in Europe actually use comfrey <laughs> internally or externally. We don't have the figures to say, well, you know, what is the risk benefit ratio? We don't know that because so many people do just use it regularly in their lives. Um, so we get false impressions, I think, sometimes from the media, um, when, particularly when research is on very specific compounds. Um, you know, you, you, you get a, quite a false impression of the reality of the situation. Yeah. I think that's why we do do the plant tastings. That's why we've mm. introduced them because once you've physically tasted that plant, you it helps to <laughs> it helps you connect with your senses yeah. and reality, um, not the world of the microbe and the microscope and not even that. Actually, it's gone way beyond that to 
in terms of mass spectrometry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I find absolutely fascinating actually I have to say I love it there's the little nerdy bit of me thinks oh this is brilliant <laughs> um, but there's always the need to pull back again you know there's always the need to pull back and, and put it in context with everything else rather than just sort of take it as an isolated thing we use that term throughout uh, the book and um macrophysiology you know taking that step back looking at the whole um, but i suppose it in at first you need to study the parts but but then of course stepping back and looking at the whole whether that be the whole person and their physiology or the individual constituents of the plants and then the whole plant and how it might interact with us that's an even bigger thing again you know and how we're interacting with the plants in nature yeah, and when you're talking about um, that, you're also talking about food, don't you? Because you have a, a chapter on food as well. So it's not just plants as in herbal plants, but just yeah. all plants in general. Indeed, yeah. Anything you're putting into your body <laughs> from the plant world. And I, I again, that's um, it, going back to why do we eat? Um, the plants that we are eating with the intention of them providing us with vitamins and minerals actually do so much more. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not just all about nourishment in the way that we conceive of it. Um, it is about repair. Um, it, it is about flow, keeping the body flowing, keeping the dynamics going. Um, it, it is about keeping you well on all sorts of levels. Um, so, you know, if, if you're, you can take beautiful herbal medicine, but if your diet is totally rubbish then you're you know one thing's going to be fighting the other all the time and we are we are healing ourselves with our food of course we are and and i love the gray area that herbal medicine inhabits on that level we've got one foot in medicine and, and one foot in food and there's this big huge gray area um where most of us at least perceive culinary herbs live <laughs> that we're using for all but i mean even with culinary herbs you know you use sage in a stuffing very deliberately to help the digestion for example there, there are all sorts of things that that we're doing to aid body processes um that we view as food but there, there's, yeah, there's so much there's quite a lot forgotten though isn't it i mean i know because i my dad's side of the family is from iran and there it's very much you know you'll use like dill on your egg to help the fat and that's just like you know it's just known but here knows that. Something, yeah, exactly. <laughs> here it's not really something that people talk about so much I don't think no no um we've lost i think the um the taste for bitter certainly from the culture you're introducing people to the concept of the bitter taste and what it does for you in terms of the health benefits it's like and i say to people oh you know it's like when you have a campari it's like, oh that's why people <laughs> and it is it's that that knowledge has kind of been lost in terms of what why are you eating what you're eating what you know what benefit is that actually giving you above and beyond keeping you alive <laughs> because actually it plays right into herbal medicine there are and again we have that false i think um perception of medicine is here um and food is there 
and that never used to be the case going back centuries. Um, and I think we talk a little bit, don't we, Anita, about receipt books, um, certainly in, in um, chapter five, where um, the, the head of the household, and it's usually the woman, would have all her recipes, her food recipes, but she'd also have her recipe for a sore throat and her recipe for dropsy or whatever it is, all in amongst the food because you'd be using turnips and apples and you know all sorts of things for those conditions as well as for your food. So that was going on <laughs> an awful lot more in people's brains. And it's nice that we are still occupying that space, um, you know, that we're there, the, we don't see the division on the same level. I love that every culture has that too, as you say, yeah. you know, the dill in Iran is a really good point. And um, I, it's the idea for us about reconnecting people to whichever culture it is that they, sort of interested in or maybe have sort of arisen from and just yeah reconnecting them actually with the fact that it isn't nonsense isn't it interesting how you know so often it yes cooking may be part of women's work um and and so often disregarded um was something that mary and i when we were researching the course and the book that we that mary came across a um a medical um research paper published on dill specifically actually rocks and it poo-pooed the it just said well it's just useless it's just sugar water oh, i mean God, yeah. what an extraordinary recipe for colic wasn't it my god Ooh. yeah and um, it was it was actually paid for by um oh the royal institute of medicine or something you know it was a major major body that published this paper and it was so rubbish <laughs> it had no scientific fact in it in fact it totally did not utilize any scientific evidence that was actually there about dill um it totally ignored the fact that there's research that has come out of iran actually specifically on this herb and it's been used in hospital settings with really good effect at up against conventional medical drugs like tranexamic acid and so on and it's performed as well or better with less side effects so you know you just think what is going on here that that if you like the medical profession have got such power that they can publish an absolutely unpeer-reviewed you know piece of data totally rubbishing a herbal medicine it was disgraceful <laughs> actually yes i'm sorry i've got all cross about it again uh but it sort of speaks to you know what we've been trying to do here i suppose as well is sort of um not let people be put down you know by their by their heritage as well and what they bring from their family life and their ancestors all the way through all the all the mothers that have given their children deal or drunk it themselves for it to go through their breast milk oh my goodness me <laughs> <laughs> let's give them a voice yeah <laughs> so maybe we could that'd be a good time actually to transition through into childhood yeah. illnesses maybe we could talk a little bit about um in a, I suppose in a fairly general term about herbs that you could use for different to for different childhood illnesses you know like colds and flus maybe fevers um what else sore throats coughs <laughs> yeah well the, the first thing that struck me um 
was about your little alchemists club actually Royce, and, and that somebody had mentioned that their little um, child had uh, in their feedback about your courses you know that they'd, they were actually picking sorrel and eating that even though they would eat no other vegetables mm. um, I sort of love that idea you know that first of all start with food so that um, you know if you've got a tummy upset and we mentioned this recipe in, in the book I think don't we Mary about sort of pulping down some apples cinnamon. with some um, cinnamon and yes, ground yes. almonds and maybe some honey and just uh, you know that you can ease diarrhea uh, and upset tummy with something really simple like that um, or that you can use chamomile for not just you know I suppose people sort of famously think of it as a sleep herb but it is powerfully anti-inflammatory and can be mixed with other herbs or foods to make actually a, an incredibly effective antispasmodic for the gut anti-inflammatory for the gut wound healing herb to apply to the outside of the body to apply to a conjunctivitis and earache we, we cover throughout the book lots of different ideas actually about this but that's something every herbalist would have done i think for sure I, I, I personally love it when people bring their children to me because I, I find that's like a massive vote of confidence. It's one thing for somebody to choose to go and see a herbalist, but it's another thing again for them to bring their child, particularly a young child. You know, that's like giving you, okay, I trust you with my child. It's, it's, it's a really big thing, I think. And I also love the fact, okay, that child's going to grow up now knowing that there are options in the world you know, knowing that herbs work and, and to always think outside the box, there may be other ways of doing things. Um, so I, I'm really quite victorious when a, a child kind of materialises in the room, like, yay, hurrah. Um, and I also find, and I think you find this as well, Anita, that children are, they, most of them respond so well you know, their, their little bodies are, I suppose, are, are still settling down into a way of being and therefore things can be corrected or pushed back really quite easily in most cases. It just takes a little bit of um, and they, you can get them on board, particularly if you, um, you're in, in the nature of your practice, which mine isn't at the moment, but my previous one was, I would be making the medicines up while the patient was there. Um, so with children, you know, you can get them to have a stir, you can get them to have a sniff, um, you can talk to them and you can say, all right, and this is going to grow in your garden, get mummy to show you where this grows. And they totally get on board with it and they're like making their Harry Potter medicines. It's just flipping brilliant <laughs> and and of course we all know about um uh, what people call placebo effect but is really a meaning response you know if you can engender that meaning response um from a young age um that people are on board for life then <laughs> oh that was absolutely brilliant that was magic you used the word earlier anita it's a little bit of magic and it worked we all need magic in our lives no matter what our age is but you know if you can get a little bit into children from a young age hurrah um you know get them to grow that which heals them get them to grow the marigolds and and the chamomile and um they're they're a joy i think they're a, a joy to treat um all all but the most intractable illnesses um they will respond to <laughs> and, and for coughs and colds and things uh with children it's sort of something i suppose again the herbist feels really confident with yes yes um, because 
there are so many really nice medicines that can help a cough or a cold, you know, using elderberries and rose hips mm. and adding blackberries and making, you can make a cordial or a oxymel. You can make things taste okay. And then, of course, a really important part of herbal medicine for coughs and colds are the bitter herbs. So many bitter herbs are really, really good for coughs and colds. Sorry, um, actually, <laughs> um, little things like sore throats as well with cough and cold. You you can do things externally as well as internally. So maybe a, a nice little fomentation, you know, uh, uh, using thyme or sage or something, wrap it around the throats, little things like that. So you, they don't even have to take the medicine or you just like, oh, I'm going to that. <laughs> that works quite well as well. Uh, and uh, L, um, I mentioned elderberry, but elderflower as well. Elderflower cordial, of course, is quite yummy anyway. Um, so using things like elderflower, warming elderflower drinks, um, you know, you can get a lot of beautiful stuff inside small children and of course going back to the fact that they are so responsive most of the herbs you are using for children like the chamomile like marshmallow um, they're all very gentle and very very safe um, which is kind of one of the reasons we've focused on a lot of the plants we've focused on anyway they're very safe they're supremely safe to use even for children um, you know, so there's it's plenty there's plenty of room for manoeuvre <laughs> would you say that all the herbs that you've used you've talked about in the book you could use for children i can't think of any reason why not there might be one or two that you probably choose not to just because they're not really suitable but there's no reason i think most of them are safe um you know um and, and things like i mean we haven't mentioned lime flower haven't we um and that's gorgeous for children and it's one of the traditional remedies in france is to make um uh, a bath out of um, tilia and for, for fractious or restless children and just put them in the bath with the lime flower leaves and what, how lovely i mean it just sounds like a spa treatment doesn't it i'm, I'm very partial to lime flower <laughs> but yeah i don't think there's anything that would be contraindicated for children is there anita i definitely don't think there is but that's no. why we sort of chose the herbs even yeah. the, i suppose there becomes a point where it is really useful to have a strong therapeutic relationship with a, with a herbalist because I suppose there's that, you know, you've got a child, they're poorly, you're monitoring a fever. Mm. You know, it, these are things that uh, mm. you know, can tip, tip over into more serious problems later. So uh, children are much more likely to present with fever. Um, and if they get a high enough fever, then there's a possibility that they might have a seizure. They're prone to that sort of um, extreme reaction to a too high fever. But as we sort of have talked about, uh, again, on the course and in our book, um, it's about management of a fever. And that can start at home. Uh, so mm. you can give herbs so there's a really important concept in herbal medicine called diaphoresis meaning sweating but more than that it's a sort of tingly feeling that you feel on the surfaces of your body when you're sort of having a sort of shiver inside and some herbs actually induce this uh, and it results in the blood vessels coming to the surface of the skin cooling the body but not so much that it dumbs down the immune response 
so diaphoresis is a, just an amazing concept so herbs like tilia lemon lime blossom uh, are diaphoretic but also herbs with a bit more of a kind of practitioner edge to them like yarrow which we also cover as one of the 15 herbs um, you know again you might use that within context of a therapeutic relationship of a within with a herbalist to guide you but it can be used very safely and it can be used in fever management it's interesting because it's a bitter herb and it's very again so that brings me back to that idea that bitter herbs for children can be quite difficult so you actually need their trust and engagement and that's where engaging young people early on like you're doing um rocks it really it sort of enables them to feel safe and confident as we are trying to do with our encouraging people to do herb tastings um, because then you trust the bitterness and it's okay um, you find a way with it um, and who would have guessed it but uh, if you look back in um, manuals uh, of treating serious infection i've got a, a lovely manual here uh, called the model botanic guide to health published in 1916 and uh it's 20 i think it's its 21st edition that's how practical and usable it was and it's written by a doctor called william fox and he said it's sort of pretty straightforward to treat pneumonia um, <laughs> but he uses a lot of bitter herbs <laughs> Now, again, this is something that people would have intuited um, from ancient times that bitter herbs seem to be the thing to help with a serious infection or fever. Herbs like thyme, hyssop, uh, vervain, uh, and uh, actually, I was thinking of uh, what is it, marubium, white whorehound. Yeah, there's a bitter herb. And uh, but now we literally in the last three years have discovered that the bitter taste receptor is found not only in our tongue, not only in our mouth, not even just in our digestive system, but throughout our body mm. and that it modulates our immune system. So I love it was that sort of tension that we were talking about at the beginning, whereby understand modern scientific understanding of the body is also linking up with our understanding of traditional understanding of herbs and it it's that mechanism of action where you can see that bitter herbs jolly well might be very good for a, a nasty infection but that means you've got to have trust a in the herbs and b in who's giving them to you to take them for something serious like a pneumonia it's interesting how um how people before all the science and they found out exactly how it works how did they know you know that the bitters i suppose it's through trial maybe through experience, I guess, but co-evolution, yeah, <laughs> absolutely, just co-evolution with you know just living with mm -hmm. the plant world. It, 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 I suppose it's almost an osmosis thing because I, I we we almost think that we're born and we grow and and we've got to learn everything from scratch, and I don't think that's the case actually. I, I you know we are intuitive beings, um, and also I think there is. I, this is my personal belief, but there is inherent knowledge that just needs to be brought out a little bit, maybe rather than smothered by whatever culture we're living in. Um, but I, I think it is easier than than we suppose to actually just have that instinct for it because it's thousands and thousands and thousands of years old. Actually, um, you know, it's it's not a recent thing. Mm. 
you know, it must be like passed down and passed down through that, you know, that, yes. kind of, what is it, that matriarchal, um, oh, um, mitochondrial, um, you think, yeah, the know. mother's line, <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> DNA or whatever it is, yeah, 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 <laughs> like so fast, there's so many things that we just don't know about, it's quite, yeah, yeah. it's hard but, for us to imagine too, isn't it, what it might be like with no electricity, no cars, no, mm. just none of our modern stuff, if, if we relied absolutely every single thing uh, our clothes we literally wove them from the plants growing around us and if we you know had to catch animals and gather roots and berries it's hard we cannot take ourselves back there I think but that must have meant that you were so deeply in, enveloped yeah. within nature that it isn't such a huge leap to imagine that people did not it wasn't just trial and error just no no was, no but it was much more yeah as mary says instinctual like all animals it's it, we know that so many wild animals use herbs mm -hmm. and uh, they they actually have been chimpanzees have been observed making a capsule of bitter herbs inside a tastier leaf mm -hmm. to worm their whole chimpanzee family <laughs> it just yeah. it just means that we you know we're just we are part of that it did yes. it was there it was it was you know we weren't we were so embedded in it that we were part of nature and we see ourselves as separate from nature now but yeah. actually we were part of it and therefore you you know you're just part of this massive web of knowledge um yeah very different and it is hard, you're right, Anita, it is hard to kind of feel that sometimes now, but um, it is important as well that we try. I think I used to worry, um, you know, coming, discovering herbal medicine as I did really young, I sort of thought, oh my gosh, it's nearly lost, you know, and I used to worry mm -hmm. that we would lose our herbal medicine, but I've come to the feeling that um, because it's true, <laughs> because it really is true then it's always going to be there to be rediscovered and uh, I was very grateful to um, do a master's degree at the Scottish School of Herbal Medicine where um, we sort of really learned a kind of plant tasting method that has informed the, the sort of very gentle tasting method we've included in our course and our book um, because I think that tasting is something that I remember reading that traditional people did that I think about Black Elk Speaks, um, a beautiful book um, by a Native American um, and he talks about how the plant speaks to you um, or Lyle Watson writing in the 1970s talked about um, a group of people that uh, told him that they place the plant leaf in their mouth and then the plant tells them about itself. So, yeah. So Madagascar. Madagascar. Yeah, it was Madagascar. Yeah. 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 Is that what it's called? <laughs> no, I think that it was one of the books that followed Supernature, his yeah. first book. Um, and it, but it involves his trip to Madagascar and he observed an incredibly skilled medical system in Madagascar using entirely plant medicine and uh, wondered how this had come about in such a short 
human history period of time um, but the all the people he asked about it said that they had basically communicated with the plant they had opened up lines of communication in a very deliberate and contemplative way was that the quote anita where he said we, we go out with our eyes half closed and our minds completely open i oh, think i will remember that and i thought Ooh. <laughs> that's quite that's lovely nice. yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah. Yes, I, I kind of think as well it's like that that whole connection with nature it reminds me of a seed um you know it can be dormant in the earth for centuries and centuries and centuries and then given the right um environment it'll bloom again so what you were saying earlier anita about losing herbal medicine i, I very much see it like that um i don't know whether it is ours to lose or to gain or to what have you it, it just is mm -hmm. what it is um, and it will always be there for us <laughs> yeah i definitely agree i i like the con the idea the concept of being able to communicate with the plants i think it just it just makes sense because like you said we are part of nature so it makes sense that we should be able to communicate with them the same way as you can communicate with anybody else we just absolutely it's it's just a different um you know form of communication but it's a form of communication nonetheless mm. And going back to sort of families, I guess that means, you know, do we introduce children to into plants into their lives young enough? Um, so I just wanted to make a quick mention of this lovely herbalist I met some years ago on the island of Crete. She lived up in a little village in the mountains and uh, she collected the um, herbal recipes from all the midwives on Crete about 40 years ago. She just went round and hmm. spoke to them all and uh, so a tradition in crete was to bathe a newborn baby in a recipe of 40 herbs so the first interaction that baby had with the world was a herbal interaction and um i just if that would just be such a beautiful thing to remind people of today and i still give bathing herbs in my clinic to women expecting to deliver a baby and uh and suggest that they both bathe in the in the herbs. It's it's not forty, but it's <laughs> it's a start. But I love I love the idea of beginning your engagement with herbs right there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there are a few um, different. Um, places around the world that do that. I do remember um, reading it, uh, uh, about Native American Indians, certain different tribes. That's one of the first things they do. It's um, and it was a beach. It was a beach or a birch. I think it was a birch type of birch. But that, that's the first thing the baby gets is is um, bathed in the birch. Um, they might have even had a little bit of birch sap. I think they were actually given a little bit internally um, to take. Yeah. So, off you go. <laughs> Yeah, because I was, I was listening to somebody, talk, um, Native American, talking about um, how they think of plants as being part of their family. Yes. Each, and each, per, each group have their own, you know, um, sacred plant that's, that's part of their family that they will. Yeah. So, they, that, so it kind of, I don't want to say, it kind of, um, it gives it more reverence for the plants that they're, they're alive, they're conscious, I think, not for Not sure these sentient beings that are just lying around <laughs> yeah. absolutely and that's the uh that again that's that thing about knowing 
a plant so deeply that you do see it in that way. I think you could look back at sort of even our tradition here. You could look at the way the descriptions used in old herbals, even Culpeper, even as late as Culpeper in <laughs> 1600. You know, um, they talk about the virtues of a plant, meaning uh, personalities. You know that it's like a person; they've got multiple aspects to their personality. And that means that you can get to know all different aspects of that plant's personality um, over time. And therefore they become, yeah, like a, a yeah. person in your life. And that really does happen. And, and, and going out um, on when you're going to do a plant study, um, and I remember this going back to the MSc, Anita, when we would go out and you have to go out and choose a plant that you're going to do a plant study on. And I was thinking, oh no, how am I going to choose? But actually the plant chooses you you just go out and the plant will present itself to you <laughs> you know you don't you don't make the decision <laughs> well, okay and that actually does happen the plant does choose you and um back to the with using the medicines for children do you have how would you go about dosage wise because there's a few different um systems isn't they've had to dose for children. <laughs> there are, there are. Um, again, depending on the age of the child, but obviously if you've got a breastfeeding mum, that's that's your way in in the first instance, you know. Um, but I will tend to just go, you start with drop doses. But I mean, I use drop doses on quite a lot of adults, let alone children, depending on what I'm doing, um, because I think drop doses can be really, really effective in certain situations, um, particularly if you're treating the immune system, the endocrine system, the nervous system, those homeostasis static mechanisms um, they, they can be really susceptible to little tweaks and alterations so little drop doses for, for, for young children and then build up from there I, I'm, I can't give you a specific this age this that age that because as well as that sometimes it I vary a little bit depending on the child in front of me just like an adult you know is this a robust terrier around child or is it a fragile delicate little thing um, um, I, I quite like as well giving teas where I can with with children or you know syrups and cordials and things rather than tinctures anyway where, wherever appropriate um, I find that works better um, yes yeah, Yes, it's just a better thing. So I will give a tea actually quite often rather than a, uh, and say, or put a bit of juice in it if you want to, or you know, whatever you want to do it. I don't care. <laughs> as long as you get it in you, I don't care. Make lollies with it. It's fine. <laughs> um, and yeah, kids, kids respond well to teas, particularly when you, if you, they can take part in the blending. <laughs> yeah. Have you, you, Anita, you got any specific? I wish there was something easy to say about dosage. Yeah, I, there isn't really. <laughs> maybe the whole dissertation at MSc yeah. level was on dosage. <laughs> and if only there was something simple. And there are sort of, um, people have desperately tried to create, you know, uh, tables on dosage. Mm. Um, but it, even as Mary said, you know, with adults, it's the same problem. You're not, it's mm. not always clear to say what. I think though, with the, sort of 15 herbs that we cover in the book and in the course, there's, there is something you could say about those herbs because they are so, so friendly. They are such good human allies um, that you can operate within a sort of, you, you, it's, it'd be very difficult to, to do yeah. yourself any harm. With Absolutely. You'd get so, sick of it way before you'd do yourself any harm. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes I think, it's true to say that 
people just aren't taking enough of a mm. herb um, and so mm. it is important to have a therapeutic dose whatever that might be and it also depends on the scenario which is a reason why it's important to have a slightly more less than basic knowledge of the body so that you can ascertain is this a scenario that needs robust treatment uh, or or actually not yeah. yeah i was thinking of um however of things like um putting garlic on your feet on the soles of your feet uh, and it's a brilliant remedy for children uh if they've got an earache or a chesty cough uh, mm-hmm. sort of nasty bacterial infection uh that it, especially if the child is young enough you can tape the peeled paper to peel the paper off the garlic clove and tape it to the soles of the feet one on each side and uh, put a sock on and that child will be smelly but beautifully healthy uh, <laughs> <laughs> i just remembering doing that i did that with my kids and i remember my husband coming in and he's like wow it really smells in here in this room <laughs> It's therapeutic smell. <laughs> I also remember being very, very sick um, and uh, with in, uh, in on a sort of a trek once through Egypt and through uh, and you know sending out my dear partner to the local market to find me anything to ease my gut spasm and uh, terrible state um, and he came back with some chamomile and fennel tea from the market thank goodness uh, now there's two herbs again you know that are part of our 15, our 15 and yeah, yeah. sort of absolute stalwart remedies um, and I could barely drink much of it because I was being sick but it didn't matter I just had mouthfuls and with very very quickly uh, you know within 30 minutes the cramps had eased um, and by repeating the dose then my poor 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 tummy did actually stop uh, ejecting everything from it uh, <laughs> forgive my graphic description uh, but yeah so um what I did was have lots and lots and lots of sips uh, so I drank nothing but that tea for sort of 48 hours um, but they were only tiny sips that made the difference so they, what's that that's a kind of curious dose isn't it it's lots of it but in tiny amounts and it was just a tea fascinating teas are way more powerful than people give them credit for you know I, I i i do wherever possible prescribe teas for adults as well as children um sometimes i mean particularly as you were saying there anita the gut um the gut and and the kidneys and the bladder teas are like might as well just give a tea really but, you know again depending on what you're doing but teas are so powerful but people quite sometimes think oh she's just giving me a tea because you know it's a yeah well yeah, if you're feeling that way inclined but it's not it's it's a very specific therapeutic tool in its own right and i think people are so used to just going to the supermarkets and buying some sort of fruit tea off the you know thing and thinking yeah <laughs> um and not you know they're, they're not exposed to proper medicinal teas um and they don't realize the the full benefits that can be had I was going to say one other thing as well, yeah, that often children have tummy ache, don't they? And, um, you know, but, but, but actually they're sort of sickening with a bit of an infection. 
Um, but it goes back to what you were saying earlier, Vox, about that we cover the lymphatic system, you know, in, again, in the course and in the book in great detail, because mm -hmm. we have lymphatic vessels all the way through our digestive system. It's a really important part. Um, so they're anterior or in front of the spinal column, and they're also throughout the gut. And so, so often a child has a tummy ache, but it's actually their lymph sort of trying to actually exercise an immune response and so uh, actually giving ease to that so again putting medicine in through the digestive system uh, can be one way of accessing improving the immune response easing the lymphatic discomfort easing the child's tummy ache but it's do you see it's sort of lots of things all joined together it's um, so you're not looking for tummy ache cures you actually sort of in a very one-dimensional sense you're you're maybe combining three or four herbs maybe some cleavers some chamomile but then you might also put something like hyssop or thyme that was anti-infective you might combine these herbs with and then put that in a lovely gloopy marshmallow <laughs> uh, just to help the whole thing um, permeate out through the membranes of the gut into the lymphatics uh, giving great ease but uh, also modulating the immune system. <laughs> Can I just add, what, what are your thoughts on glycerin, like using glycerin as a menstruum? Because is it, is it quite a processed product? Or do you think it's, I don't know. <laughs> do you know, I'm, I'm asking myself that question as well because I've sort of not really used it very much, but no. it, there's a great resurgence and in interest in it again, isn't there? as a sugar-free, supposedly, you know, option of sweetener. I don't know, what do you think? I've used, so it's just, but I've been I've seeing a lot of recipes for it, so I was just wondering. Yeah, no, I, I rarely use it. I think there's one, uh, Ribes, which is um, black currant um, leaf, um, and it's a little adrenal tonic, and that specifically um, uses a, a, a glycerite, um, and I, I've, I've bought that a few times in that form. It does taste lovely, I have to say. Um, but I have, other than that, I've not been inspired to use, um, you know, I've, I'd stick to tinctures basically because I've never found any reason specifically not to, you know, on that level. I've, yeah. I suppose, it, 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 you know, you've raised another issue with it there actually as well. Well, you know, is it a very processed product? Mm. Um, but I suppose uh, quite a lot of things are, aren't they? Uh, but and also i think uh, one of the things i notice about it is you need about 60 percent of it to preserve um a, a juice you know so if you made a if you made a tea or you met, you extracted a juice from a herb you'd need a good 60 percent of pure glycerol to make that preserve adequately and so that means you're end product um, is actually quite weak in the herb i would say that hasn't stopped me though I've, i'm really interested in the <laughs> idea of using glycerol and i have been experimenting with it for this winter actually uh, and sort of but i think what i might find myself doing uh, is mixing a glycerol with an extract with say um, a vinegar extract um, and then also mixing that perhaps with a tincture. So you end up lowering the alcohol, although it is a tiny amount of alcohol, really, once you end up with your dose of tincture. But then you'd have these sort of multiple 
ways of both preserving but also administering your medicine and I, I like that idea <laughs> you know I was actually reading about that in um, a lot of American herbalists were talking about making their cordials like that with um, like a herb herb sugar or herb honey extract and then with a herbal tea and then a herb, the herbal tincture as well and I was thinking it's quite nice to get all the different aspects and they were saying because it's like you're putting it into water then as well and so it's such a small amount that they don't have a problem giving it to to children mm. yeah i think also you can uh yeah i love the idea of using vinegars um and that old recipe an oxy you know a honey and vinegar extract of a herb um, but so uh, you could use yeah i love the idea of mixing things and if we look back in our old pharmacopoeias um, even here in the uk you go back to sort of 1950s and you've got glycerite glycerol extracts uh, or glycertractors as they were called and you've got lots of vinegar recipes or acetractors as they were called and then so you've got these sort of wonderful products that can be i love the idea of then combining them mm -hmm. so um uh with perhaps as you say a honey syrup or something oh just or you could use any one of those sweetening things i i'm, I'm a big fan of molasses uh, and i think that molasses is both you know beneficial but it has does have that bitter sweetness that makes it more palatable Well, that, that's great. I don't actually have any more questions. That was great. Thank you very much. Oh, if you have any um, anything that you want to add or any like kind of plugs that you want to make for any of your stuff. <laughs> uh, oh, just going back to the book again, we, we are doing an, an online book launch, aren't we, Anita, in September or Eon, the publishers are organising it for us, which um, we're very much looking forward to. It'll be, it's, it'll be nice because I suppose the fact it's online, lots of people will be able to join in. Um, so obviously we'll be giving people information about that sooner rather than later and we we'll certainly will be passing that on. Um, I just want to say it was been so lovely actually to to do this it's been you know and thank you for inviting us it's been a real pleasure to sit here and chat on <laughs> well it always is about herbal medicine <laughs> it's always a pleasure to chat on but thank you very much for inviting us and yes i hope you enjoy the book rocks <laughs> yes, thank yes thanks so very much for having us part of your i love your enthusiasm for herbs and just mm. the way that you're promoting herbal medicine and the idea of just plants within your community um just it's just really inspiring actually and i suppose i just wanted to say you know a big thanks to heartwood um yeah. online learning um they offer a foundation course uh, as you know yourself um but they're also beginning to develop a, a plants and health course which is really exciting um, and then of course they do a professional course uh, if you're a real glutton for punishment <laughs> the option to train to be a medical herbalist and we need more medical herbalists we do we do, we do. every <laughs> because uh, actually um it's not just about filling efficacy gaps in conventional medicine um but actually doctors once they realize how well herbalists are trained um they they it would so help uh the way that we offer medicinal services here in the uk actually if herbal medicine was part of menopause care um, mother and baby care uh, ibs 
protocols, treatment of migraine. Oh my goodness, we have so much to offer. A lot to offer, a lot to offer. But you know, the the other side of that as well, and it's really, really important, and I'm gonna say thank you again, Rox, is just getting the message out there to people about herbal medicine. You know, it can help you on all levels, be it consult a professional herbalist or just find out more about what you can do to help yourself. And things like this are really so important about, you know, in terms of reaching people. Um, So well done, well done. and <laughs> um, sorry just before you go can you tell me the, the name of that book that you said again about the um the folklore in britain oh um <laughs> yeah that's um alan and hatfield i I'm, I'm staring sideways so i've got it on the shelf and i will remember it then bear, bear with me a second oh what's it called i had it in my hand about 10 minutes ago um i will no i will have to um email it to you but i definitely will email it to you probably within the next 10 minutes sorry about that <laughs> just write I down remember. that you'd said <laughs> yeah, yeah honestly. i can't remember the title either for goodness sake but yeah um it's somewhere in our references list in that it book is. actually it is. All right. um, yeah it's gabrielle hatfield and uh, something wonderful Somebody, alan isn't it yes. oh, it's so annoying oh it's not it's not going to leap off the shelf as soon as you pop, go off the pole you'll find yeah it'll just fall off the shelf all by itself <laughs> yeah. <go plonk>. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay very much i've just seen my cat's really restless i think i've let, locked her in i need to let her out <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh don't don't yeah don't neglect your poor cat <laughs> all right thank you Rob. thank you very much thank bye 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 thank you take care bye bye